I'd like to start this off by giving an honorary Clown of the Week award to Brett Venables, the coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. Your team isn't good this year. I get it. But to lose 49 to nothing on a national stage, or at least be losing by that margin, to your arch rivals, Caleb Nice, it's a crime against humanity. Yeah, I mean, it's not even like home field advantage for either team, too. This is a, a neutral site game, and you expect them to at least put something up on the board. But you're right, to be down by that much to a team in Texas where Oklahoma was came into the season ranked. They were ranked last week before they got murdered by TCU. I thought that game was a fluke, Liam. And they were a top 10 team in the country not too long ago, too, before Kansas State goes in, beats them in in Norman, then they get embarrassed by TCU. They might be the best team in the Big 12. But I understand Texas was favored, and clearly rightfully so, but you got to put up a better performance than that, especially against the Longhorns team that the Sooners have owned over the past few years. Yeah, I don't really knock him for – I think Kansas State is a great team this year. All right. But – Big Adrian Martinez guy? Big Adrian Martinez guy. That's why I think Nebraska kind of leaving there. He didn't fit in super well there, Liam. But to see him succeeding now in a team that really struggled, especially last year, I think they were 3-9. and nine. I think I think that's good to see. Well, on today's episode, we've got plenty of NFL talk, and we will break down what has gone down at the beginning of the MLB postseason. But we begin today with, I don't even know how to describe what happened Thursday night <laughs> in Mile High City between the Broncos and the Colts. Chef Russ, he's cooking up a bunch of L's, Caleb. The Broncos are 2-3, and three, and I think there's a legitimate case to be made that they are far away, bar none, the worst team in the AFC West. I mean, that was just an ugly, ugly game, Liam. I think one of the worst primetime performances I've seen in recent years. By both teams, too. Both teams, yeah. It wasn't just like a lopsided, like, 45-3, game. You're right. It was ugly. And I remember we were over in Citrus yep. TV when this yep. game was going on. And it's like nobody's watching it. Everybody's always watching the games there. The fact that nobody's watching a primetime game, I think, speaks volumes to how bad this game really was. And for me, I was someone who was really, really excited to see Russell Wilson come into the Broncos and see what he would do. But I've just been disappointed. He works worse. He looks worse right now than Drew Locke ever looked <laughs> in a Broncos uniform. And it's disappointing to see because we talked before the season about how the AFC West was going to be this super stacked end all be all all four teams could make a deep run division but that just has not happened you know and the defense looked fine it held a mediocre Colts team to 12 points which I don't think anyone is going to knock you for but the offense just doesn't look good and the Colts defense I'm not going to lie Caleb I think it's kind of mid I think it's mid too but it really helps when the Broncos red zone offense is as bad as as it was in that game. I mean, you talk about Russell Wilson, a guy, he's a veteran quarterback right. in this league, Liam. And for them to not have a single touchdown, and they only have two touchdowns in their three home games combined. If I if I showed you that stat and asked you who you think the quarterback of this team was, who would you say? Not Davis, Russell Davis Mills, Mitch, Tr <laughs> Mitch Trubisky, Nathan Peterman, if we want to throw in the meme <laughs> quarterbacks. I... No chance an H double hockey stick would Russell Wilson would be the quarterback. Russell Wilson. Right. That's what I'm saying. And so for for him, there was just so much hype, right, for the Broncos to bring in Russell Wilson, a veteran guy. So much excitement in the season for them to be off to the start 
I mean, he threw two picks in the fourth quarter, and in a game that's that close, and a touchdown kind of like almost feels like three touchdowns, Liam. Right. One other thing I want to touch on, his press conference after the game, when he still came out of there and saying, Broncos County, let's ride. That thing has turned into one of the biggest memes of the early going this season. That. Yeah, he really does. It's one of those, uh, he's talking the talk, but he most certainly is not walking the walk. And frankly, those fans have every right to be booing because this team is among the shortlist of candidates for the most disappointing this season. Yeah, I don't know if you agree, but would you say that coming in, I thought this team would start out 4-0, 5-0. Are you, are you on that same train as me? Potentially maybe one loss? Uh, I didn't know how hot they would come out of the gate, but I had them finishing 11 and 6, 10 and 7. Now I think they'll struggle to get to 500, especially <laughs> considering they haven't gotten to the Chiefs yet. They haven't gotten to the Chargers yet either. But he's just not making plays you see from veterans exactly. quarterback. I mentioned those two picks. Both of those came inside Colts territory. And I just want to go back to what I said about how in a game that that's a game that finished 12 9 and a game that close, just scoring one touchdown. To the opposing team, the team that's losing, that almost feels like three touchdowns just because right. you're not generating any offense in the night. So if he had just poked one of those in, one of those two picks, he started in Colts territory, like I mentioned, I think they would have won the game. Right. But for Russell Wilson to not be able to do that, it's almost kind of scary, I feel like. It's a, I don't want to say it, but it feels like an early sort of fall from grace. And it stinks, too, because he's a fairly likable guy. I like him, yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. We'll start with the sad news. Caleb, it appears to be over between Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen. So, first of all, you now have a chance. <laughs> Secondly, is that my prize for first time on the podcast? Ah, uh, well, if you win her over, I guess so. <laughs> but here's the thing. We and this is like not something we touch on very often. We rarely go into this whole entertainment drama side of things. Caleb, this felt like a long time coming because we heard of rifts in their marriage really ever since Brady decided to unretire. Yeah, I think those were, I always thought they were just rumors though until I started to maybe think about it a little bit more when you start seeing those pictures of him in the press conference and he doesn't look like that same presentable, healthy Tom Brady that I think the whole world is used to seeing him put that on and put that right. forth for everyone to see. And that's when I kind of started thinking, maybe, maybe there is something here, but... You know, you mentioned, like, we're getting into entertainment stuff, but I guess that's why I find it so interesting that we're not talking about how does Brady's injury affects the Bucks. It's all of a sudden now his personal life. Right. And, you know, it's funny that all these memes have been coming out, like, Brady's asked to take the kids to and from school once. He's just like, nah, enough of this. I'm back to playing football. <laughs> and, you know, I hate to be that guy, but... There's just another element to or one element of marriage, at least in one like this, is being a dad, being there for your kids. If that is causing the rift, then it's super, super fascinating and difficult to dissect, Caleb, because now all of a sudden, Tom Brady does not look like Tom Brady out on the football field, and the Chiefs' loss wasn't really his fault. I mean, he put up 31 points, but he still didn't look great. Yeah, but I, I think it makes sense because she had expressed concerns. I, I think that's what I read, that when he had retired, she was happy. And their marriage was kind of already iffy just because of he kept putting himself out there. And you're right. The fact that he is a dad is huge because 
You got kids to take care of. And so for him to go back out and say, no, I'm not retired. I'm playing another year, I think, was that final straw. But you're right. You're definitely seeing it in his performances. Now, the, the Bucks have been a different team to watch. They're not that – Tom Brady's not that same guy. The whole team kind of isn't able to rally around him right. now. He's 45 years old, too, yeah. which is something we have never, ever seen, at least from a quarterback in the National Football League. And now it's finally starting. It feels like father time is finally catching up <laughs> to him. But it's something I feel bad about because whether you like him or hate him, I think that he is a good guy. Yeah. He is a good guy. And to see him struggling, I think, in what will be his last season in the NFL, it's tough to see a legend like that go out, especially me and you. You being a Pats fan, like, this was a guy we grew up kind of— I'm not a Pats fan, but I still grew up idolizing him. Like, this is Tom Brady, bro. Right. And to see him in this element where now he's struggling on the field, but in his personal life, it is sad to see. It's, it's sad to see. And, and you think about how it affects his kids, you know, that it's all a, of a sudden. It's a like, beautiful family. Yeah. And now it's like football might not be on his mind when he's out on the field. Right. You know, when he's sitting on the sideline before these past couple of years, I'm like, Tom Brady's there. He's scheming. Right. You see him on the skies. He looks like yeah. those gears in his brain are turning. Now you don't know. He's probably not thinking about football when he's on the sideline. So you almost have to feel for the guy. Like, if you're a Bucks fan, I don't think you can be angry with Brady knowing what he's going through, especially right. if you yourself have gone through something similar. Exactly. It's a difficult situation to navigate, really, Caleb, for all parties involved, and a sad one at that. All right, last weekend, the Ravens were sitting pretty, Caleb, against Buffalo, up by 17, 20, 23, yeah, score. in the second quarter. Yeah, second quarter. Buffalo storms back. Okay, it's the Bills. You can live with giving up 17 points to them. What you can't live with is Lamar Jackson throwing a pick inside the 10-yard line with a chance to take the lead. With limited time, might I add, because then Josh Allen marches him down the field. Then old reliable Tyler Bass kicks the go-ahead field goal. Caleb, this feels more on Baltimore than Buffalo because this is the second time this year Baltimore has blown a sizable lead at home. Yeah, and it's really a knock on Lamar Jackson because you mentioned that pick. Would you, you consider him almost a veteran quarterback, right? He's been in the league. I, I'd consider him a veteran. Yeah, and I think the ball was on maybe like the three, four-year-old. It was inside the five. Yeah. And to throw a pick, all of a sudden now the Bills, that was, that was fourth and goal. The Bills are not pinned. They're back against the wall. They now have some breathing room. So for a veteran quarterback to try and force a throw like that. He was running backwards, scrambling back, made a throw off balance off his back foot. Of course that's going to get picked off by Jordan right. Poyer. Right? Especially when you're throwing it to someone like Jordan Poyer, who's one of the best safeties in the game, Caleb. And I think that says it perfectly. Like, he's out there running for his life, but this is not 2019. Teams haven't been game planning for him for the past few years, and they've found a way to limit his effectiveness and now it's going back to hurt the Ravens in these big games. It was a crowded sector, too, of the yeah. end. It's not like anyone was wide open and Poyer stepped in front of it. Right. Baltimore should be 4-0. Let's not sugarcoat that at all. Unless I'm mistaken, they won week one in blowout fashion. It blanks me who they played against. Yeah, I cannot. I cannot. They, they blow it against Miami. Then they beat a New England team who's barely walking on one foot right now. <laughs> yeah. And then they blow it against Buffalo. And when you look at it, Buffalo and Miami, two of the top dogs in the AFC, if you're going to blow leads to them at home, what's going to happen if you have to go to Kansas City or L.A. come playoff time? 
What's going to happen this weekend when you have the Bengals in town? Yeah. And and I know we're supposed to talk about that game later. That is going to be a massive game. Yeah. With with crazy implications. But you're right. Like the Ravens are they're a talented team and for them to be up 20 to 3 and to lose that in the way that they did. I mean, credit to Josh Allen and the Bills. I the way they came back was truly remarkable and I think it shows why they're a contender to go deep in the playoffs this year. But as the Ravens and and as Harbaugh having that lead you got to play better, and you got to put your quarterback in a situation and trust him to not be able to make a terrible throw like he did, a forced throw that cost you the game because I think there was about three minutes left. Of course right. the Bills yeah. are going to be able to come down on that. Yeah, it's exactly. Josh Allen, man. Yeah, and I hate to jump hairs here, but Lamar Jackson is kind of starting to take the Michael Vick arc, not necessarily <laughs> not getting into the legal trouble that Michael Vick got into. That aside... You know, Michael Vick had his ridiculous season in 03 or 04. Then defense has started to game plan for him and figure him out a little more. The same thing feels like it's happening with Lamar Jackson. Now, God forbid Jackson get into legal trouble like Vick did. <laughs> but you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, and sign note from that, Michael Vick was one of my favorite players growing up. I had a, a Vick jersey I wore all the time. And when the news came out about him, my mom took that jersey while I was at school and threw it out, never saw it again. Oh. And that kills. But... Yeah, Lamar Jackson's not on that same kind of illegal activity side. Yeah. But definitely in the fact that teams are starting to be able to figure him out. And that just makes sense in a way. When you start to blow leads, that that's a huge credit to an opposing team having halftime adjustments. And that shouldn't be you shouldn't be blowing a 17 point lead. And I know it was it was 20 to 10 at halftime, so more of it's a you're going with a 10 point lead at halftime. But when coaches are able to go into halftime and say, look, this is what this guy's doing. Here's how we stop him. That's how you know you're not a quarterback with multiple dimensions. Especially coaches of the same of the pedigree of a Sean McDermott or what we have seen out of Mike McDaniel early in his Dolphins tenure. Yeah, but it's just a, it's a situation that stinks because I feel like Ravens fans kind of have had the short end of the right. stick the past couple of years. And you're right. I, they should be 4-0 right now. I they agree with be. you. They should be. To blow two games, you got to feel for those fans. But it's also something that needs to be adjusted on the offensive end and even the defensive side there in Baltimore. Without a doubt, Caleb. All right. Lamar Jackson hasn't looked great in the early going. But you know who's looked even worse? Matthew Stafford. And with that, the Rams are only 2-2. Two and two, And really, Caleb... That game against San Francisco, they lose 24 to 9. And credit to Debo Samuel for getting my fantasy team a big W, by the way. <laughs> but Stafford just looks lost out there. I mean, he talked about in week one against Buffalo, his elbow, like barely being able to throw the ball. And he looks the part, too. He, he just doesn't have the same mojo or strength that he had when he was their Super Bowl champion last year. Which brings up an interesting point that I wanted to talk about with you is the championship hangover effect. Do you think that's real? Because we've Absolutely. seen it before. We've seen it, you know, switch ships over to MLB, the Braves who won the World Series last year, find themselves in the playoffs this year. No hangover effect there. But I think it's real on this team. The Braves did start out slow. They were 23 and They did start out slow. Point. But now they are the NLE's champions. For it took some Pedialyte, and they're back from that hangover. Yeah, but they, I think they needed some secret stuff. For, for Stafford and the Rams to win a Super Bowl in a, in a sport that's as physical as football, because baseball is different, Obviously, I think that 
that same kind of drive and motivation. You kind of lose it after winning right. the championship the year before. And I, I do think there's some issues there on that team. But a hangover effect, in my opinion, is definitely something that we're seeing take a hit on Matt Stafford. Especially when you consider that no team has repeated as champion since we were still in diapers, Caleb. <laughs> That's how long— Speak for yourself. I came out of the womb potty trained, Liam. <laughs> there you go. Well— <laughs> It, it just doesn't look good. And I'm starting to wonder, is not bringing back Odell Beckham Jr. having a detrimental impact on this team? Because he was clear-cut Stafford's number two option behind Cooper Cup. Now defenses are honing in on him. Who else does he have to throw to? Well, yeah, like, Cup Tyler, and, Higby? Tyler Higby and Cooper Cup are his only reliable pass catchers, in my opinion. Exactly, and their running back situation isn't exactly great like either. Cam Akers. Cam Akers, did you draft him in fantasy? Uh, No. Okay, good call. <laughs> and the running back situation is all up in arms. He just doesn't have, like, we a few years ago, the Rams were loaded with all these weapons, whether it be Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, Higby, when Todd Gurley was in his prime. They just don't have that anymore. And I feel like Odell taking off was kind of the final straw. And sure, you bring in a washed Bobby Wagner, there's only so much that's going to do for you if your offense can't put points on the board. And I think creds to you for bringing up that running back situation because the Rams do have one of the worst ground games, which forces Matt Stafford to kind of play the role of hero, which forces him to make those terrible throws, those interceptions that we see. I mean, he leads the league in interceptions right now, I think. Was he at the top or near the top last year? He's, I think so. Yeah, so not so having so not having a reliable running back in Cam Akers almost forces Matt Stafford to take all of the load and all that pressure, put it on his shoulders. And this is already a guy who's really susceptible to throwing picks. He's not young either, Caleb. No, he he is a veteran. We've saw, we talked a lot about veteran quarterbacks today. He is a veteran. All right, this is a guy who is one of the key players I think in in Lions history, and is a Super Bowl champion last year, like you mentioned. If you already know he's susceptible to throwing picks, you got to give him an option on the ground to take some of that pressure off him. He's 34 years old, Caleb, which obviously isn't ancient by any means, but for an NFL quarterback, 34 is getting pretty old. And I know Tom Brady would like to word about 45, that. Yeah. <laughs> but Tom Brady is an anomaly, and there's no way around it. And, yeah, Sean McVay has his work cut out for him because this team just does not have the same moxie or – What's a good? What's the word I'm looking for? Balance that it had last year. Yeah, and last year we saw the good outweighing the bad because he was at the top in interceptions, but they won a Super Bowl. Right. Right. Now this year, you're not seeing the good outweigh the bad. He only has four touchdown passes so far this season. Yikes. Yeah. So there's no cancellation there. It's like algebra. You're not taking from both sides of the equation. You're taking everything from one side of the equation out there in LA. And that's what's killing them. Stafford kind of, some of it is his fault, and some of it is him not having a running back. And I think maybe getting a guy on the O-line to create some of those holes could make a difference. But I think you can point to a lot of different problems out there. You absolutely can, Caleb. But Matthew Stafford has not looked good. You know who has looked good, Caleb? Cooper, Cooper Rush with the Dallas Cowboys. And I know you hate hearing that <laughs> as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, but Cowboys are 3-0 with Rush under center. Dare I say, and by the way, they look significantly better with him at quarterback than they did with Dak Prescott early in the season. Could we perhaps see a 
quarterback controversy in Dallas. I think Cooper Rush can perhaps stake his claim if he goes out and balls out in L.A. against the Rams this weekend. No, I disagree with him. I don't think there is a controversy at all. It would be a massive mistake if Dallas replaced Dak Prescott with Cooper Rush. And I'm not that's not a knock at all on on Cooper Rush at all. I think even the fact that there's exactly talks of a controversy exactly is is props to Cooper Rush and, and the job he's done so far. But this is Dak Prescott you're talking about. A two-time pro bowler coming off a season where he threw for more than 4400 yards and 37 touchdowns. I think on every level he's the same, if not better, than Cooper Rush. Yeah, he absolutely is better, and he's more mobile. He's better at scrambling outside the pocket. Dak Prescott is their QB1, but Cooper Rush could turn into, it could almost turn into a situation like they had in San Francisco over the summer, weighing whether or not you trade your backup. Now, I think Cooper Rush has higher upside, at least right now, than Jimmy Garoppolo, but... They have insurance at that position should Dak need to stay out longer. And now there's no need to rush him back. I mean, they only need to rush him back is for my fantasy team, so I don't have to rely on Trevor Lawrence, Tua Tungabailoa, or Kirk Cousins as my starter. But it it just – the fact that we're having this conversation speaks testament. And I think Mike McCarthy is, believe it or not, doing a solid job. Yeah. Um, the way I like to put it in analogy is I think that Cooper Rush – has passed the NFC East permit test. Yeah. In three starts, he's outplayed Burrow, Daniel Jones, and Carson Wentz, two of those guys, in the NFC East. Only one interception. He completes 60% of his passes, a nice QBR of 95.9, but he's not a guy you want behind the wheel full-time right. just yet. Right. And I think that, and I think there's ability to do that, especially when you're playing in a big market like Dallas, where they're playing a first-place schedule this year. I mean... We just touched on it. They've got the Rams coming up later this week. That's the uh, America's Game of the Week game on Fox. And then you have at Philly on Sunday Night Football. That might be the game of the year yeah. for them. Then Detroit, Chicago, at Green Bay. That's going to be tough. At Minnesota is going to be tough. Giants, eh. Colts, eh. Texans, eh. At Jaguars, could be tough. Eagles again, at Titans, at Commander. So it's not as if they're playing a schedule that features – you know, the 16 Patriots among the other great teams, but it's no cupcake. Yeah, and if you're a fan of this team out in the Lone Star State, Liam, I think the Philadelphia games have to make you nervous because that's an offense so far this year that has shown how explosive they are, and Cooper Rush has yet to throw over 250 yards in a game. I think that's got to make you nervous that he's not going to be able to go toe-to-toe with that Philly offense. And you mentioned Philly. That's a good segue. The Eagles look really good right now, Caleb. They're 4-0 for a reason. They rallied back from that 14-0 deficit against Jacksonville. And to Jacksonville's credit, they hung tough. They look yeah. like the front runners in the AFC South. But, Caleb, as an Eagles fan, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. And I'd like to point out to the listeners, I'm a mild Eagles fan. I think Philly fans get a really tough reputation as some brutal fans in the NFL. So don't picture my voice with... With one of those... As, so, as someone who knows you <laughs> quite well, I can attest to that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not that aggressive, so I consider myself more a, a mild Eagles fan. But they're looking good. And, uh, you know, I've talked to my parents on FaceTime back home, and I think the vibes around the city and, and in the city... I mean, my dad was driving me home to the 
um, train station because I was in home for the weekend. The the morning of the Jacksonville game, it was 8 a.m. We were driving to the train station, and the highway to get down into the city was packed with people that were going to tailgate. And this, mind you, this was really, really crappy weather. Right. It was like 40 degrees and just constant rain. The fact that people are showing out for this team in a market that is always really tough just shows you how confident I think people are in this team. And I think, Liam, Jalen Hurts is the main reason for that. Yeah, Hurts had a lot of doubters, and you can say rightfully so all you want or all you don't want, but he's now finally blossomed into the quarterback we envisioned him being in the NFL, really, Caleb, back when he was at Alabama. That's what we've been waiting to see, and he has certainly lived up to the challenges of all these rabid Philadelphia fans that just keep hammering <laughs> expectations on you left and right. And, you know, the Eagles have one of the best fan bases in the NFL. And when I say best, I mean most passionate because yeah. I don't like them. Well, I like you fine, but some <laughs> Eagles fans can get a little extreme. And, you know, I think one thing we're not hitting on enough with Philly, the acquisition of A.J. Brown looks oh, really huge. Good. And it also looks really bad for Tennessee. Well, having A.J. Brown, I think, is now credit to Howie Roseman for bringing him in. But having A.J. Brown is a massive reason for the success of this team. I mean, Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, they go back a bit. They both played in the SEC at the same time. A.J. Brown at Ole Miss. And like you mentioned, Hurts at Bama. I think the two are familiar with each other, and that helps. They have a little bit of chemistry there. But add on top the fact that Devontae Smith is now in his second year with Hurts. Those two have been able to kind of grow in this offseason. Former teammates. Yeah, former teammates. Now both really, really talented receivers that Hurts has chemistry and confidence in is showing on the field. Not to mention a solid dual threat running back in Miles Sanders and one of the better tight ends in football in Dallas Goddard. Caleb, this team has all the right pieces, and their defense, too, is also quite electric, even though it's a bit, what's the word I'm looking for? Has tendencies to crumble at times, like we saw in the Detroit game week one. Yeah, but that was week one, the first game that, of the season. Have you, have you seen any problems with the defense since then? Nothing glaring. Nothing glaring. There's your answer. All right. And it, oh, go for it. Well, I was just going to say, the middle linebacker, TJ Edwards, he leads the team in tackles. He had 125 of them last year, which was the second most on the team behind Alex Singleton. If you asked me who TJ Edwards was before the season, I would have given you a weird look. And I think, and I think that's he's got a uh, NBA name. I think TJ Edwards is an NBA name. Yeah, kind of. But you know, they look good. They've had all these unsung heroes rise up to the occasion, and Caleb, it's it's a it's going to get real. Like those games against Dallas are going to be absolutely. And then even I think I think it'll be cool to see the reunion with Zach Hurt, Zach Ertz, um, excuse me, this weekend because that's a guy that just loves Philly. He talks about it all the time yeah. how much he appreciates that city. So I think it'll be good to see the Eagles get to go see Zach this uh, this weekend. Eagles are playing the Cardinals this weekend. All right, we've dodged it enough. Aaron Judge did do it earlier in the week. <laughs> the tall man. We're really going to talk about this. Sadly, the tall man hit his 60-second home run of the season Tuesday against Texas. Caleb, I've seen a lot of reactions, and whether you want to claim 73 as the true record, 62 is the American League record, and it's an unbelievable accomplishment. 
Yeah, I didn't want to have to talk about this. I know we do have to talk about it. It's massive news in sports. But what Aaron Judge has done this season is incredible. And I think I'm really lucky to see it in our lifetime, something like this. Yeah. And it just it's a kind of cool little nugget that Roger Maris, who had 61, 61 years ago, I don't know if you saw yeah. that, which, which is pretty neat that Judge breaks it now with 62. But what he's done so far this year for the Yankees and the complete dominance he's shown against pitching is incredible to watch. Yeah, it is incredible to watch, but Caleb, they all did, all 62 of those home runs came in the regular season. Now the postseason has started. He has, he has had a clean slate. How many home runs does he have in the postseason so far? Zero. Granted, they haven't played a game. <laughs> but Aaron Judge has made the playoffs in all five of the seasons. He's been solid, but he's never been past the ALCS as I try to find his career postseason stats. Yeah, I mean, you got to wonder, too. Uh, atmospheres are way different. In 135 at-bats, he's got 11 home runs. That's actually not too shabby. And, but, career average of 230, 11 home runs, 22 runs driven in, over 35 postseason games. So, he has displayed the power and then some in his postseason career. But, the expectations now, Caleb, are higher than they have ever been on judging the Yankees to make a deep run. So those 62 home runs obviously are going to go down in history. But what will make those 62 home runs be even more memorable? If they win it all. Is, yeah, is how Aaron Judge plays in the postseason. If this guy, if the Yankees lose in their first series, which hopefully they do, yeah. but if they lose in their first series, that 62 is still special. But I think it loses a little bit of that flair. Right. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he does in the postseason because – that's what that's when it matters most. It's do or die in the postseason. Caleb, either way, Tampa, or the Yankees are going to have to deal with a top-notch pitching staff. The Rays Guardian series has yet to be decided, but it's nothing, nothing in the bottom of the eleventh inning of Game <laughs> Two, and the score of Game One yesterday was two to one. So either way you wait, you're going up against uh, Tyler Glass now, a Tristan McKenzie, a Shane Bieber, a Shane McClanahan, Caleb. Either way, look at is that five hits so far in this game? Crazy entering the bottom of the eleventh inning. Either way you look at it, Caleb, the competition is about to get really stiff, and people are coming for Judge too. If they walk or if they pitch around him, I don't think anyone is going to blame them. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's how good Judge is, and Yankee fans can boo the living heck out of whomever walks him all they want. It still might be the right thing to do. And the other thing that plays a part. I know Aaron Judge is, is talented. I'm not saying he's not. But away games in the playoffs are different than away games in the regular seasons. I mean, I think Cleveland is one of the most electric atmospheres we've seen in recent years in it's playoff a baseball. very underrated stadium. It's fun it's to watch. It is really fun to watch there, which makes me think how opposing pitchers against Aaron Judge, is that going to be an advantage for them being at home in a really, really good playoff atmosphere I think could also play a massive part but just even you're right pitching around Aaron Judge because we saw what happened once he hit that 61 mark how many walks even that 60 yeah even the 60 mark excuse me how many walks he was getting and you're right if if nobody's on base these teams can afford to pitch around Aaron Judge in a lineup that I don't think is anything 
super they're not, special? They're not special. Yeah. They're not special. I know they're getting the mustache man Matt Carpenter back, but he hasn't taken the field in months. You can't rely on him being the same 1,200 OPS guy that he was when before he got hurt. Yeah, if you look up and down the – you just open, like, the MLB app and you look up, up and down the box scores, Aaron Judge is kind of, like, carrying – it you know, to put it to put it simple. Donaldson isn't good. Stanton's been dealing with injuries. I know he had a bit of a good stretch at the end there, but he's just not the same guy. Then Gleyber Torres really slowed off down the stretch. Other than that, you've got the two young kids, a powerless Harrison Bader, a powerless Ben Benintendi, both of whom get on base and run well, but don't really have home run pop. What are we looking at here, Caleb? You're looking at what a repeat of what we saw in August, I think, maybe with this Yankees team on in August, the Yankees kind of went down a little bit. Almost for a second, it looked like, are they going to lose the division, that that massive lead that they had? If you take Aaron Judge out of the equation, I would not be surprised to see the Yankees not advance past their first-round matchup against Neither the Guardians or the Rays. Neither would I at all. And, you know, at Yankee pitchers, you've got a lot of work to do. Garrett Cole, <laughs> I, yeah, I'd love to see Garrett Cole fumble it. Just get yeah, shelled? Yeah, absolutely. And, but other than that, you know, they're, the pitchers on the roster aren't exactly posting experience. You know, Frankie Motas wasn't exactly great in the 2020 postseason. I don't know if Nestor Cortez has started a postseason game. In fact, I don't think he has. There's just not a lot of experience. So if Judge and the Yankees draw in the first round, it certainly tarnishes that 62 mark. Yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to say earlier. I think it tarnishes it. It's still going to be really special, right? Obviously, right. it goes down in history. But you're going to look at it in a different light to say, yeah, you did it in the regular season, but you couldn't do it when it mattered the most. By the way, the Yankees won the World Series when Maris hit 61, if that says. Oh, I didn't know that. Hey, yeah, they did. That's they neat. Uh, beat the Reds in the World Series. All right. Now we're on to the offseason for – 18 teams, 12 teams are currently battling the postseason. We'll get into it. Caleb, I'll keep it simple. Do you have any sort of thing you're looking out for this offseason? Well, I know we just talked about him, but I'm interested, Liam, in seeing what happens with Aaron Judge. Yeah. What about you? Obviously, what happens with Judge? Do the Red Sox keep Bogarts? Yeah. What happens with Carlos Correa? What happens with Jacob DeGrom, too? Can you imagine him wearing a uniform other than the Mets uniform? No, and I think Mets fans would be really, really upset after what's happened to them this season, LG. I mean, they're already on the ropes right now. They got smoked against San Diego last night. Scherzer got blocked. Yeah, I was not expecting that at all. You lose a massive lead in the division. I wouldn't know if you'd call it massive, but they blew it, right? They absolutely did. They blew it, and then for them to lose Jacob DeGrom, I think that fan base— Got to keep your eyes on them. If you got anyone who's a Mets fan in your life, I have quite a few people. <laughs> well, the AL wild card is going on right now. We can talk about Cleveland and Tampa Bay all we want, but what I want to focus on Caleb. Seattle came out of the gates firing against Alec Manoa yesterday, and you know Toronto got seven hits. But can you tell me how many of them were for extra bases? Was it zero? One. One. Matt Chapman had a garbage time double late in the game. But, Kayla, they came out firing. Alec Manoa, looked, Alec Manoa was a dead duck early. I mean, Seattle had three had three runs before 
well, what's the best way to phrase this? The Bears were up 3 nothing after only recording one out. And game two later today between Robbie Ray, the ex-Blue Jay, and Kevin Gaussman, get your popcorn ready because it's going to be a slugfest. And that's America. That's what I said earlier. The Mariners are America's team this year. I think if you don't have a team in the postseason, then you're rooting for the Mariners. Nope. No? I'm rooting for Cleveland because Francona. Francona, okay. Well, that makes sense because you got implications there yeah. as a ex ex-Red Sox. But we well, talked if, about— If Cleveland does not win, I will root for Seattle. <laughs> we talked about playoff atmospheres. We, we mentioned Cleveland's underrated. Toronto is another really, really good playoff atmosphere. And I will be honest, I was not expecting the Mariners to go in and shut out Toronto at home at all. Neither was I. And Especially, Caleb, when you consider that Toronto plays in an indoor stadium. The, effect, the effects roofs have, it makes buildings that much louder. We know with the dome right here. Yeah. The effect that it can have. Imagine the dome in like a, a college football playoff atmosphere. It would be insane. And that's what you're looking at in Toronto. I mean, think back to that one Jose Bautista home run he hit in the playoffs. That The yep. place was shaking when you watch the highlight. The camera is literally shaking. Right. And this is a team that is so exciting to watch. Both of these teams actually are full of young, young talent. I think that's why it's going to be really tough to see one of these teams come tomorrow or Monday not playing any more baseball for the rest of the season because both of these teams have really, really impressed me this year. Both of them look really, really good. I mean, think about what the Blue Jays did to the Red Sox. Smoked them. The Blue Jays' offense was crazy the against Blue the Red Jays Sox. Blue went 16-3 and against the Red Sox last year. And there was that one series where they had, like— 28-5. They won a game. Yeah. I don't know if that speaks more about the Blue Jays or the Red Sox. To be honest, it probably speaks more about the Red Sox just a little bit. But your point is absolutely valid, Caleb. And either way, whomever Houston has to face is going to be coming in firing. And that's another thing, Caleb. We can talk about with the Astros and Yankees and, heck, even the Dodgers and Braves. The time off, do you expect that to play a factor? Not really, because when you think these teams who have the times off are the four best teams in baseball. Mm -hmm. The Dodgers, I think, just look kind of unstoppable right now. I don't really think you can look at a team that dominant and say a couple days off are going to derail this team. I mean, I don't think all four teams that have buys will advance. I just don't think that that would happen because one of these teams in the wild card series is going to get hot right. and knock off one of these teams with the buys. But for the most part, in a game in a season that's 162 games long, these guys have had enough practice where they've been playing so much. I don't think they're going to get rusty, especially with what playoffs bring to a team. It just fires them up. Absolutely, Caleb. The energy of the playoffs is very palpable and. You know, all four of these fan bases are going to come out firing next week. And I know they've had time off, but for pitchers, that's huge. For hitters, it could disrupt flow a little bit, but... Yeah, pitchers, pitch- it's, it's big. Pitchers should be in top-notch form, no questions asked. As for the NL side of things, I was in disbelief when the Cardinals blew it against the Phillies yesterday. <laughs> I don't know what was more surprising, the fact that the Cardinals blew it or the fact that Max Scherzer looked absolutely atrocious. I'm going to go with Max Scherzer just because he's another guy who's so dominant. He's and He's Max been Scherzer. He's Max, exactly. He's Max Scherzer. And that Josh Bell home run in the first inning, I thought, all right, that's it. 
I never would have expected Max Scherzer to give up seven earned runs and get yanked from the game as early as he did. And I don't think anyone in City Field saw that coming. Even if you're a Padres fan and you got a lot of faith in your team, I thought it was going to be a really defensive game. I don't think anyone saw that coming, especially when you Darvish is the opposing pitcher. You expect it to be, you know, 2-2, two, 3-2 two, two, through six innings. No. Instead, it's 7-1 to one through five in favor of the visiting team. And now I feel like it's sort of karmatic because the Mets said before the series, you know, we want to save DeGrom for the NLDS. And now you got to throw him <laughs> a game to save your life in game two. And... That's Clyde, what's so tough about these. Five goes before the fall. Yeah, but that that's what's tough about these these um, game three game sets. But speaking of three game sets uh, and that other NL wild card game, the Phillies Cardinals coming to this one. This is one that I predicted. I thought the Cardinals were going to win in three, but after yesterday and the way that St. Louis lost that game, I now think the Phillies take it tonight and move I- on. Because I agree. That kills everything in that Cardinals clubhouse. You think you're leaving, going up 1-0 in the series, and all of a sudden, the Phillies in the top of the ninth out of nowhere, Gene Segura kills you. Losing, losing is one thing. Yep. Losing like that has a detrimental impact on your team's moxie. But it's different in in a five game series or a seven game series. In a three game, yeah, you got to win two in a row. Yeah. With the last one being in Philly. In an atmosphere, you're right. Their team hasn't been in the playoffs in so long. That's going to be nuts if St. Louis has to go there. And like I, I think the Phillies win tonight. But if it, no matter what, I think the Phillies win this series, whether it's tonight or it goes to game three. What the Phillies did yesterday will carry them through this NL wild card matchup with the Cards. And I think, they, I think the Phillies will win tonight, Kill, with Nola on the mound because— I know he's never pitched in the postseason before, but he feels built to dominate in the postseason. You know what I mean? And this was a guy who, who um, me and my dad always grew up going to Phillies double-A games, and Aaron Nola was incredible to watch in, in Redding. Um, but you're right. He knows what happened last night. Everyone on the team knows what happened last night. Expect Aaron Nola to come out tonight, and I think put on, in his first playoff appearance, Put on the show of a of a lifetime, almost show of a lifetime. Show big, of a lifetime. Big Hold expectations from. All right, I'll take your word for yeah. it. I let's, think Bryce Harper will have a, a really good game too. Ah, uh, that would be nice for you guys. All right, let's head into the basketball realm real quick before we head into our big games, because Draymond Green, we know he's hot headed. I don't think anyone thought he was hot headed enough to knock out his own teammate. <laughs> That's exactly what he did on Wednesday when he knocked out Jordan Poole. There's a lot to dissect from this, Caleb. I think the Warriors trying to figure out who released, how the footage got released is interesting when they, it doesn't seem like they're taking any disciplinary action towards Green whatsoever. But my main takeaway from this, Caleb, and to quote a movie, an empire which is brought down by its enemies can be rebuilt. Is that Batman? No. Oh. One that crumbles from within... <laughs> Is done forever. That's Captain America Civil War. Oh, uh, okay. Um, yeah. I'm a Michigan fan. Jordan Poole is my boy. You're going to throw hands at him. I'm coming after you, 
Draymond Green. You got to go through Caleb Nice to get to Jordan Poole. Oh, baby. We, and we know Caleb <laughs> Nice is a big, intense guy, too. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think the Warriors are handling it very professionally right now. They're not um, kind of hiding from what everyone has seen. They've dealt with it very professionally. Um, but if you're Draymond Green, and this is taking all bias out of it, you can't let your emotions get the best of you in it's whatever cardinal, situation it's it was. It's a cardinal sin yeah. is what it is. You're a veteran guy. He's almost a decade older than Jordan Poole. <laughs> that, that's nuts. What are you doing in that situation? You know, And not only that, but this could cost him in terms of contract money too, I think, LG. Yeah, and Draymond Green is a penny-free agent, apparently wants a max contract. And that's going to cost him now. Yeah, homie, you're supposed <laughs> to be the leader of this team. You're the guy they rally around, even though you're not the best player, because you talk that talk more than anyone in the league, perhaps. And now look at this. What sort of... How are the young guys not necessarily named Jordan Poole? I'm talking Wiseman, Kaminga, the more unproven guys. How are they supposed to look up to you after this incident? You're not. You're not going to look up to him. I mean, he's not going to be that guy anymore. I think... If you, if you picture that locker room and what just happened, all the young guys, you're right, kind of stick together. Draymond Green is a guy that, like, the, the Warriors aren't going to get rid of There's no question. They're not going to get rid of him or cut him or anything. Like, this right. is a team that needs Draymond Green. There's only one Draymond Green in the league. Only one guy who can bring that kind of energy to a team. But it's going to take a massive hit on his contract. And what you just said, it's going to take a massive hit on his leadership roles and capabilities. And locker room chemistry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, think about that kind of rift that was created in the Golden State locker room just from letting his emotions get the best of him in a couple seconds. I mean, you you got to hold yourself back there. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I'm not complaining that things are going south with the Warriors because the way I see it, they're the biggest threat to the Celtics winning a title. Yeah. But... Uh, you hate to see it happen like that. You know what I mean? And I think you hate to see it happen to a guy like Jordan Poole. I'll speak right. liking him, but he's such a likable guy. He is. I think the the character and he's very charismatic. He has a great story too. Yeah, he's got he's got a great story. And just to see that happen between those two guys, I, I like both of them. You know, you might not right. like Draymond Green. I'm not a Celtics fan. Um, I really don't have anything against Draymond Green. But see, it's not personal with you. Yeah, it's it's not personal. It's just tough for me to see a guy like that, a guy that I think is one of the many faces of the NBA, have something like this happen to him. I don't want to see it cost him financially, which I right. unfortunately think it will, though. All right. Well, with that, we move into our big games of the week, starting in the college football realm. A&M visits Alabama tonight. That's Texas A&M. Caleb, how many points is Alabama winning this game by? I think Alabama wins by 35, 38. It's, it's not going to be close. The Aggies have underachieved this year. And when you combine that with the fact that Nick Saban is probably coming for Jimbo Fisher's head. Think about I, what happened last year between these two. That too. I think the Tide leave no doubt whatsoever. I think they win by north of 32. I think if there's no kind of motivation, like if this was like um, just any other SEC team, if this was say, any other game, it's a different yeah. story. But this but, was a team that came into Kyle Field last year and lost on a last-second field goal to A&M in one of the craziest college football atmospheres. 
I've ever seen. By the way, AM was unranked at the time. They, yeah, they were unranked, correct. And they're unranked tonight, which is which is uh, a little scary if you're Nick Saban kind of thinking about history maybe repeating itself. But I don't think AM has any shot of going into Bama tonight and pulling out a win, especially like I said with the history last year. The guys on that Alabama team that can remember what it felt like to watch A&M fans storm that field, you better remember when they're charging out of that tunnel tonight and taking the field against these Aggies, they're going to be having flashbacks in their head, and they're going to be ready to do damage. It's it's going to be a bloodbath. All right. The Bengals visit the Ravens on Sunday Night Football tomorrow night. Caleb, I think this is going to be a fantastic football game, almost making up for the abomination that was Thursday Night Football and I, the Ravens are three and a half point favorites. I don't think they cover, but I think they win. I think they win by a field goal. I think Justin Tucker walks it off. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. And you bring up that Thursday night football game, Liam, which all of a sudden I think makes this Sunday night game a must win for the Ravens. Right. This is also a Ravens team that has lost five straight home games. Did you know that? Uh, thinking back to games. last season, it does sound yeah, right. Five straight home games. And this is also one of, I think, one of the more high-scoring offenses in the NFL. I think being at home, coming off what happened last week, I don't think the Ravens fall to 2-3. and three. I think there's too much talent on that team. I think Lamar is too smart, too talented of a quarterback. He's going to learn from what happened last week. I think the Ravens, I could see I, I could see him winning by three, but I could also see him winning by a touchdown. Yep. Either way, they win close. Yeah. But yeah, I think the, I don't think Cincinnati comes into M&T and pulls off this win. Neither do I. Well, Caleb, it has been nice having you on. <laughs> Had to throw in the <laughs> last name. You one in there. I did have to sneak one in there. Thanks so much for hopping on, man. It's been a good yeah, time. It was a pleasure. I think first time. Is there, you give an award for a first time? Do I get a, a prize or anything? Would you like a high five? I'll take it. There you go. There for we go. Caleb Nice, <laughs> I'm Liam Griffin. Follow us on Instagram at Full Court Press Podcast and on Twitter at Full CP Podcast. That's F U L L C P Podcast. And if you want to sit in Caleb's chair, get in contact with me, we'll make it happen. It's a big time in the sports world with MLB playoffs, the NBA season about to start. Just keep on going. We'll see you soon. <laughs>